You are listening to CSN International, the Christian Satellite Network, your home for solid Bible teaching and the latest praise and worship music. In just a moment, we'll go live to the River Christian Fellowship, the home of CSN, for today's service with our special guest. But first, I'd like to invite you to join us in person at the River. We're located in Twin Falls, Idaho, and have our Sunday morning service at 10 a.m. Mountain Time and our Sunday and Wednesday evening services at 7 p.m. Mountain Time. Visit theriverchristianfellowship.com and click on the map for directions or to schedule a visit. Now, we go live to the River Christian Fellowship for today's service. turn to your word. We just ask your spirit to continue to strengthen us, Lord. Give us knowledge and wisdom for what you have in your word. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning again. Am I on? So, QR code is quick response code. It's kind of a no-brainer, isn't it? Duh. All right, we're moving on. Um, I've been slowly working my way through 1 Corinthians, and we're up to 1 Corinthians 8. So beginning with verse 1. Now concerning things offered to idols, we know that we have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. If anyone thinks that he knows anything. He knows nothing, yet he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, this one is known by him. Therefore, concerning the eating of things offered to idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world, and there is no other God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father of the Father of whom are all things, And we for him and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we live. However, there is not in everyone that knowledge, for some with consciousness of an idol until now eat eat it as a thing offered to an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. But food does not commend us to God, and neither neither if we eat are we better, nor if we do not eat are we worse. But beware, lest somehow this liberty of yours becomes a stumbling block to those who are weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will not the conscience of him who is weak be emboldened to eat those things that are offered to an idol? And then because of your knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died? But when you thus sin against a brethren and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. Lord God Almighty, thank you for your word. We ask you, Lord, for your presence today. We ask you for your blessing. We ask that your hand would be upon us and that you would feed us and meet our needs with your word today. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. 
So Paul begins with a now about. Um, so he's moving on from the last chapter. He's talking mostly there in the beginning about food sacrificed to idols. But he, he, he introduces food sacrificed to idols and then he moves right on to knowledge and love. Um, our objective as Christians, you know, is not to just be scholars. It's not just to gain and collect knowledge. Some people do that. There are some people who are very knowledgeable about biblical days. They're very knowledgeable about language. They, they, they understand all of that. They've spent a great deal of time studying that. And they're not even Christians. They're not close to God. They, they may or not even really believe in God. Sometimes they take the other side. So knowledge in itself is not the objective. It's love. Love builds us up. The Bible says that we will know one another by the love that we have for each other. It doesn't say anything about knowledge. It doesn't say anything about, you know, they'll know you because you have a tremendous amount of Bible knowledge. No, that's not it. It's how do we love one another? That's always the objective. Paul is talking there about letting love take the lead. We might have a great deal of Bible understanding. We might have a great deal of understanding about, you know, Israel, all of those things, end times, all of that stuff. But love needs to take the lead. Love leads the way and knowledge follows. So Paul's complaint there is that they're mistreating their brothers and sisters with their knowledge. You know, that's, that's every Christian's problem, isn't it? Every Christian's problem is, how do we live in this world? How do we live in this pagan world? Because the world we live in is pagan. How do we live in this pagan world and still be Christians? How do we live out the Christian ideals when we're surrounded by all of this pagan belief? And this pagan belief has somehow or other kind of crept into the church, and sometimes it's acceptable to, uh, to, to, to creep into the church. Sometimes it, it is a lack of understanding. Sometimes it's a lack of knowledge. Sometimes uh, people believe things that, that are tradition. They've been passed down through the years. Maybe they're a complete misunderstanding of something, but they believe it to be true. And, and it, taints, it taints their worship. But Paul is saying you need to be careful if you are one of those who has a great deal of understanding that you don't harm those who don't have that same understanding. We don't want to harm our brethren in any way. You know, sometimes we get built up in knowledge. People, uh, people spend a lot of time studying and, and they're very intellectual and they're smarter than I will ever be. But it leads to pride leads to pride, and then it's used to harm other people. And that's not the foundation of love. Love needs to lead the way. We don't want to harm our brothers. We, what we understand may be perfectly right. It may be absolutely right, but it could be used in some way, if it could be used in some way that harms somebody, then love needs to temper that. Love needs to lead the way. It does not mean that knowledge is bad. I'm not saying that. It doesn't mean that knowledge is irrelevant. I've learned a great deal from reading all different types of books 
different angles, different viewpoints, viewpoints that I don't even agree with, but they've taught me things. So I'm not saying that 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 is bad. I'm not saying that that's irrelevant. It's just that love needs to take the precedence. Love leads the way. There's a lot of, uh, there were a lot of differences of opinions in that Corinthian church regarding eating food. And a lot of what Paul's talking about here, and of course what I, as a result, will talk about here, is the eating of food, the eating of meat that had been offered to idols. Um, but understand that an idol can be anything in your life. An idol can be anything that you put ahead of God. You know, it, it could be your boat. It could, be, it, it could be any other type of a recreational thing. For some people, it's their job. They worship people, worship their job. For some people, they worship money. That's an idol. That's an idol, no different than what the Corinthians were, were worshiping in that day. And, and everything that Paul says here about uh, eating, eating meat that had been offered to idols, about idols, about the temple, those things, they're relevant to us today because um, we may not have uh, a temple here to a false god. Well, there probably are some temples here to a false god. But, um, but anything that could be in your life that would take the place of God, that would take the lead, could very easily become an idol. And, and it, could be that, it could be very easy to be worshiping that. So there, what, were, what was happening here was that there were idol worshipers. There were many idols, many gods. Uh, there were temples to these gods. And they would make animal sacrifices to these gods. And then they would, they would take that meat. It would be laid out as an offering to the idol. Of course, the idol was just a chunk of wood or a chunk of rock or something that had been shaped into some shape. And of course, that's not going to do anything to the meat, is it? It's not going to eat it. The meat just sits there. It's perfectly good meat. And so then they would take the meat and then they would sell it in the marketplace. It would be sold as meat that had been offered to an idol and it was discounted somewhat. So it was a little bit cheaper. And um, what's happening here is that there are Christians who had come out of that idol worship. Some of those Christians perfectly understood that the idol was nothing. There is no God. That idol was not a God. That idol was just a rock. The idol was nothing. The temple was nothing. The temple was just a structure. And they understood that in eating that meat, they were not worshiping that God because that God didn't exist. That God was nothing. The temple worship service was nothing. It was just a gathering of people. And so they understood that, and so they didn't have a problem eating that meat. They understood it's just meat. It's just food. However, there were other Christians who had left that, uh, that idol worship, and you know they had been deeply enmeshed in that idol worship, and they were having a hard time with this. Um, they had believed in that God. Now they understood on an intellectual level, you know, on a brain level, they understood that the God was nothing. The God didn't exist. It was just a piece of rock. They understood that the temple was nothing. There's nothing special about that temple. There's no spirit in there because there is no spirit. 
There's nothing to inhabit the, the place because there's nothing there. But they had a hard time with that. And uh, what they would do is they would have these temple dinners where people from the community could come in and they would eat in the, in the temple. And some of the Christians would go to that because, hey, it's food. But there were others who had a problem with that. They, were, they didn't understand that. They said, you, you've left that idol worship. Why are you going in to the temple? And why are you participating in that meal with that meat that had been offered to an idol? Why are you doing that? And it bothered them. They had, they had a problem you know, with, their, with their conscience. Their conscience was bothering them with that. And Paul was trying to, to instruct them in that. He was saying that, um, you know, that the God is nothing. The God doesn't exist. So he's saying, if you eat the meat that was offered to an idol, it's fine. That does not bring you closer to God, nor does it push you away from God. It doesn't do anything. Makes no difference whether you eat it or you don't eat it. It's your choice. Whatever you feel comfortable with. That's what Paul is saying. There's a few occasions when other people, you know, when people might have encountered meat that had been offered to an idol because it was sold in the marketplace. Maybe they're invited over to a friend's house and they have meat. And without them even knowing, maybe that meat had been offered to an idol. Or maybe their wife went out in the market. They saw, she saw a great deal on beef that day and, and she bought it and brought it home and cooked it up. How do you know? Because it's just meat. So there's even times when a Christian might inadvertently, even if they had a conscience about it, they still might be eating meat that had been offered to an idol. Everyone agreed there. All of the Christians in the Corinthian church agreed that um, it's wrong to worship an idol. That was not the question. That was not even an issue. That's not something that, that, that they were even arguing over. You know, God, God demanded from the very beginning, throughout the Bible, we're told, we're taught, there's no other gods before me. Those, there's, there's no other gods. There's one God. There's one God in three parts, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One God. There aren't any other gods. People invent gods. People invent them for whatever purposes they have. I don't know what their purposes are, but they do. They invent gods. They invent gods that, that fit their idea of a god. So they say, I don't, like, I don't like the God of the Bible. I don't like that God. I'm going to create my own God. And, and this God is going to be okay with whatever it is that I want to do. We see that all around us, don't we? We see that all around us where people are reinventing and, and they're making, you know, the Bible says that, that mankind is made in the image of God. What they're doing is they're making a God that's in their image. They say, I like my image better. And so I'm going to make a God in my own image. I'm going to make a God that fits, fits my idea of what the God should be. And, and I'm going to create it so that I can worship it in a way that I like to worship it. 
when the Bible clearly lays out those things to us. The Bible says that we're made in the image of God. So, these people understood that there was a necessity to separate themselves from the cult. Uh, but, but this issue of, you know, how much do we, how, how much do we accept? You know, they're, they're, uh, it takes a very, takes, takes a degree of maturity to understand that, uh, that if you eat something that had been offered to an idol, that it didn't mean anything. Takes a deep understanding to be able to separate that. So they understood that they had to separate themselves from that. But but the entirety of that first Corinthian society was just permeated by the worship of the pagan gods and idols. And it's really not different than today. Our uh, society is permeated with the worship of various gods. So it was this situation that Paul is writing about, whether or not it's acceptable to eat the meat that had been offered to an idol. You know, for in that one group, there was no question about it. The idol's nothing. The meat's just meat. But then there's this other group that was having a hard time with that. They were struggling with that. Perhaps they had a hard time understanding that the idol that they were worship, worshiping wasn't alive that it was just a carved up piece of wood or stone. Maybe they had a problem with that. Maybe they had spent so much time worshiping that idol that it just became a part of who they were. That, that's, uh, you know, that's an absolute possibility. But now what was happening was those Christians who understood that the meat was nothing, was they were looking at their brothers and sisters that that had a hard time accepting that, they were looking at them and they were taking a condescending attitude towards them. They were basically saying, you know, what's your problem? The idol's just a rock. Why, why do you have a problem eating the meat? It's just meat. It's just food. And the fact that it had been offered to an idol is irrelevant because the idol is nothing. There's no God. It's just meat. So Paul changes his approach slightly. He's not talking about the cult anymore. He's talking about our attitude towards our brothers and sisters. And the Christians who had an understanding about that idol and the meat, they had knowledge, they had an understanding, and so then they were taking a condescending attitude towards their brothers and sisters who were confused about it, who didn't understand that. So, they had all been involved in the same worship of that cult, um, but some of them were having a struggle with it, and that, that problem had come into the church. And Paul is saying there, he's saying, remember, love is more important than knowledge. The fact that you understand that the idol is nothing, the fact that you understand that the idol is just a rock, and that it's just meat doesn't mean that these Christians over here who don't understand that, the ones who are struggling with that, it doesn't mean that you get to pummel them with your knowledge. Don't take a condescending attitude towards your brothers and sisters and don't think that you're superior 
because of your understanding. Don't take that attitude towards them. He's saying you, you have to approach your brothers and sisters with love. You have to be careful about how you're treating them. So it comes down to the point of how do we love one another? Paul always Paul always takes a situation and puts his own experience into it, his own life experience. You know, as Christians, we always need to love one another. That's how we're known, isn't it? We're known by the love that we have one another. Um, sometimes when, uh, whenever I've had the opportunity to be involved in evangelism, a lot of times uh, the first thing that's done is that I'm handed, I'm handed this little pamphlet and they say, you know, memorize the pamphlet and that's how you'll evangelize people. And I don't know if you've ever tried that. Maybe it works for you. It doesn't work for me. It doesn't work for me. It comes out really awkward. It, it comes out not good. What comes out good is when I can just talk to people and I can show them that I love them. You know, I've, I remember a time when, uh, when we were going, we would, we would go out on a Sunday afternoon and we would visit people who had visited the church, uh, but they didn't necessarily come back, so we went to visit them. And uh, a lot of them were not Christians. They really were not believers. But if you ask them, if I ever asked anybody, can I pray for you? No one ever said no. The first few times I did that, I was like, I was terrified. It was like, you know, they might turn into a demon and attack me or something. But no, no, no one ever said no. You know, that kind of an attitude, that comes across as love. And, and I'm not approaching them with knowledge, am I? I'm not telling them. I'm not trying to prove anything to them. I'm just showing them that I care. Christians need to, we need to understand that that, that love, that love is, is the, that's the connection. That's the way that we reach each other. You know, um, like memorizing the little pamphlet, what happened with that? We were in groups. We were in little groups and, uh, you know, we left, we left that one Sunday after we'd had this training thing. And, uh, you know, I, I, I'm busy and, and, and I'm really not very good at memorizing things anyway. And so it was, it was kind of a struggle. You know, I'd, I'd keep the pamphlet in my car and I would, I'd go over it during the day whenever I had a chance. And, but I never really learned it that well, you know. But, but what happened? We went back to our group and all of a sudden people are, people are, we're grading ourselves, right? We're grading ourselves. Who knows it the best? The one who knows it the best, the one who memorized it the best, wow, they're an A student. You know, and then, and then there, was, there was me. <laughs> kind of learned it. You know, I kind of learned it. Knowledge, knowledge makes pride, doesn't it? Knowledge puffs up. That's what Paul says. Knowledge puffs up. But love, love doesn't puff up. Love edifies 
love edifies. Because we're not looking down on each other. We're not being condescending to one another. That's, that's one of the points that Paul really was making. You know, one of the things that the Corinthians possibly didn't take into account, uh, the ones who understood that the temple and the God was nothing. They didn't take into account that being involved in that worship is involving you in some way in demonic activity, isn't it? People who make a God out of something in their life, whether it's recreation or their job or their money, people who make a God out of that, in some way is interacting with the demonic because they're putting something before God. Anything that we put before God can become a stumbling block to us, can come between us and God. Anything that we put before God. Paul makes it clear there. He says, Food does not commend us to God, for neither if we eat are we better, nor if we do not eat, we're the worst. Not only is there one God, so there's one God, and idols are not real. It doesn't matter if you eat or not. You want to eat? Go ahead. If you have a problem with eating, if it bothers you in some way, if you feel guilty about it, or you feel bothered by that, or if you feel bothered by you know, going to the temple at all, don't go. Don't. You know, there's these, these areas. There's areas in Scripture where the Bible very clearly says, don't do this. This is wrong. This is a sin. There's other areas where the Bible very clearly says, do this. This is good. Do it. And then there's this whole area in the middle that the Bible never talks about. You know, people get all hung up on it. They, they say, well, what about this? What about this? I, I can't find this in the instruction book. You know, the Bible never mentions this or that or the other thing. So what do we do this? And then, and then Christians start taking sides. And then they'll try to justify one way or the other. They'll say, well, the Bible says this about that. And so then this kind of falls in that category. So we're going to move this over. And, and then the Christians on this side will say, well, you know, the Bible says we can do this. It says we should do that. And so this sort of falls into... So we end up with this area where there's all this argument, arguing going on about whether we should or should not be doing it. And then, then you get groups coming up together. And then, you know, sometimes entire denominations come out of, you know, people are separating themselves by what we do and what we don't do. Paul says, he, Paul says, take heed, lest this authority of yours be carried over to the eating of the cultic meal, meals and become a stumbling block to them. So Paul's telling them right there, he's saying, look, it's fine if you eat the meat because the, there's, there's no God. It's fine if you go to the temple dinner because the temple is just a building. There's no spirit in that building. It's not a problem if you do. But if your brother or sister who does have a problem with it sees you doing that, 
then they may be influenced to do that themselves, even though they feel like it's wrong. And that's the problem. That's the problem. It's not that what you're doing is wrong. It's that it's influencing your brother or sister. And it's influencing them in a, in a negative way. It harms them. So Paul is saying, I'm not saying it's wrong to go eat. What I'm saying is that it's wrong for you to do that if it will hurt your brother. That's not a difficult concept to understand. If we approach the situation not with knowledge, not whether or not it's wrong, but if we approach the situation with love, we say, I love my brother so much that I don't want to do anything that might uh, get them off the track. I don't want to do anything that might derail them. You know, they're, they're a little brother or sister in Christ, and I have a responsibility to them. And even though I'm free to do this thing over here, whatever it is, I'm not going to do it because they would see me doing that and they would misunderstand why it is that I'm doing that. And they might be led to do that when they don't have the freedom to do that. Paul talks a lot about freedom. If you ever go, if you want to read what Paul says about freedom, go into Romans. We don't live under the law. We don't live under black and white rules. Do this, don't do that. That's not what we, we live in the age of grace. We have freedom. We have freedom. And, and, and some of that is, is freedom from the grip of sin in our life. So Paul talks a lot about freedom. We're not living under rules. You know, there are some groups who put rules on us, don't they? That's, that's mankind's way of doing things, is to put constraints and to put rules. And if you don't believe that, just, just look, at the, you know, look at the books that make up the state law and, and read some of those laws. They're laughable. Some of those laws are laughable. That's what man does to one another. And that's what man does to one another when it comes to worshiping God. They'll say, well, you have freedom, but, but don't do this. Or you have freedom, but you must do that. But if we love our brothers and sisters, we want to do everything we can to assist them, to help them in growth. We don't want to do anything to hinder them, do we? And so if that means that, that we're going to... Uh, we're going to not do something because it might harm somebody or they might misunderstand what's going on there, then we, we don't do it. But it's from love. It's not because of a rule. So, that however that Paul talks, that Paul mentions in the church um, in verse 7, He's saying that some of these things might not be safe because of people's background. You know, some people, some people come to the Lord out of a cultic religion in which they, they think of themselves as Christians, but they live under the 
so much bondage, so many rules, and so many directives that, that whether they're actually Christians or not kind of could be debatable. But they're coming out of that with so many traditions and so many constraints that they have a hard time with this concept of freedom. And so they struggle with that. So these people live their lives, they all live their lives as pagans, and Paul talks about them having a, a weak conscience. And, uh, and remember, uh, the, Jews, the Jews anyway had a long list of things they couldn't eat. You know, they had to eat kosher food. There was meat that they couldn't eat. There was, there was all kinds of food that they couldn't eat. Or maybe they could eat it, but it had to be prepared in a certain way. And, um, you know, I, I've heard that there are some, some Jewish people who actually had two kitchens. They prepared one type of food here, one type of food there, because they couldn't touch. There were so many rules. And so you've got to remember these people are coming, they're, they're coming out of a society where there's that, and then there's this pagan religion, and we have the same thing today, where people, even though they might be, they might, they might worship God, and they might consider themselves to be Christians, but they come out of so many traditions, they come out of so many rules, that they struggle. It's a struggle for them to give up the laws and the rules that they lived under, because that's, that's how they associated their worship with God. And so that, that freedom, a lot of times is actually a, a stumbling point. It's a problem for them. Um, Paul, is saying, Paul is saying to these people, he said, you know, well, the, the Corinthians that were going to the temple to eat, to the temple dinners, the Corinthians who were going there, were saying, since there's no God, and since this is just meat, then, then why do I have a responsibility to not do something that's just perfectly fine? And so Paul is trying to instruct them on taking care of one another. You know, we need to, we need to be conscious of, of those among us that are baby Christians. We need to, to do what we can to care for them. And, uh, and, and if you fall into that category, you know, take the opportunities that you have to fellowship with other Christians. There's a lot of, lot of other Christians, you know, um, who have been down that road. And what I'm saying is that, you know, you're struggling with something, something is a problem in your life. Um, you're not the only one who's experienced that. People have been down that road. And you might as well benefit from other people's experience. And a lot of times, you know, people have had to work through things. They've had to struggle with things. They've had to go to the Scripture. What does the Bible say about this? And so they've, they've done the work. And you can benefit greatly by fellowshipping with them. You can benefit greatly by spending time with them. Paul, Paul celebrates the freedom. But he says there, he says, liberty, liberty of yours can become a stumbling block to those who are weak. And in verse 9 he says that, those who know there's nothing wrong with a certain behavior should take care not to create a temptation for those who don't have that understanding. So we need to be concerned about that perception. It 
So taking, taking responsibility for our brother, you know, the Bible says that, that we are responsible for our brother. It's really easy just to kind of shrug our shoulders and, and uh, say, well, they're, you know, they're not my problem. They're somebody else's problem. But a lot of times God puts people into our life for a certain purpose. It's to do, to, to help them, it's to walk with them, it's to walk with them through life. And God sends them to you. God sends them to you to, for you to help. A lot of times it works the other way, doesn't it? You know, you're putting something into someone's life and you're getting as much in return as what you give. That's typically how that works. But God is saying, take care of your brother. Walk with them. Teach them. They're, they're a weaker brother. It's not that they're not sincere. They're very sincere. They just don't have a complete understanding. And I'm letting you walk with them for their growth, for their spiritual growth. We grow together, don't we? We don't typically grow alone so much. But we grow together. So those gray areas, a lot of times those gray areas have more to do with social norms, social expectations. I'm not talking about social as in societal expectations. I'm talking about social as in our, our Christian group, the Christian group that we grew up in, the Christian group that we became a Christian in, and whether or not they had an understanding about the freedom that Paul talks about. Talk, Paul talks about being free from the law. He talks a lot about that in Romans. And so sometimes when people have, have become a Christian in a group like that, they don't understand that freedom. And so that's the social norm that they became a Christian in. That's their expectation of that. As Christians, they think we do this. We dress like that. Or, or we wear a certain thing. Because that's what Christians do. But that's not a part of anywhere of scriptural teachings. So that's the social norms that I'm talking about. But none of that comes into play if we're living out loving one another, does it? You know, um, I, I kind of, I, one of the things I appreciate about this church is that um, we have people who come here dressed in all kinds of different ways. You know, you, you, you basically could, as long as you're clothed, you could wear anything to this church and you're going to be accepted. You're going to be greeted. It's because what you put on your body, as long as you're covered, is irrelevant doesn't matter. You want to you come in in your motorcycle leathers? Great. You know, you want to come in shirts and a t-shirt? Shorts and a t-shirt? Especially in summertime? Well, I typically do. So why not? You know, the only time I wear a shirt with a collar is if I'm, if I'm up here. And you can see that a shirt with a collar doesn't really look that good on me because I don't have much of a neck. But that's one of the things I appreciate about this. I, I, I hope when you come to this church, I hope what you feel is love. I really do. I hope you don't feel any condensation or any... Um, I, I hope you don't feel like anyone ever looks down on you in this church because we try to welcome everybody. 
You know, appearance doesn't matter. It's the fact that you're a brother or you're a sister in, in Christ. What happens with churches when they put expectations like that on people is that it creates divisions, creates divisions in the church. You know, there are some churches particularly, I've been told, okay, I've never attended one like this, but I've been told uh, there are some churches where you are expected to wear a suit to church and a tie. That's the expectation. And if I were to walk into that church dressed like this, even though I feel like I've dressed up for the occasion, I wouldn't. I wouldn't have. I wouldn't be accepted. That, that's what happens when, when those um, expectations come on, is there's divisions. There's divisions between these people and these people. And they look at these people and they say, well, you didn't meet our expectations, and so therefore you must not, you must not be a real Christian. Or you must not be serious about your faith. You know, there's, there's some churches, particularly, again, you know, towards the east, where um, there are limitations that are put on people. You know, um, for instance, swimming. Boys would not swim in the pool along with girls. Because we don't do that. Is that... Is that a biblical thing? I, I, not that I know of. I don't know about that. But that's something that those, that church has put on people. You know, there are other churches that say, um, particularly with women, for some reason they single out women, um, women have to wear certain clothing. You know, women can't wear pants. Even though pants were invented decades after the Bible was written, and whatever the Bible might say about clothing, it's not talking about pants, because they didn't exist. But that's an expectation that was put on people. And it becomes burdensome. And even Paul talks about that. He says the law becomes burdensome. It's piled on expectation and expectation and law and law, and and it becomes a burden. Bible says, my burden is light. My burden is easy. And that should be our expectation. Our expectation should be that whatever God is putting on us, He's also giving us the strength and ability to deal with. And sometimes, you know, sometimes it's okay to to pray for help. You know, I've, I've done that myself in the past few weeks. I'm like, God, you've given me a lot to do for you, a lot. And I've kind of reached my limit. If you're going to ask me to do any more, I need help. And that's okay. You know, God does send people to help us. You might be in a situation where you're struggling with things, you're struggling with, with um, you know, personal things in your life. You're struggling with those. And... They're not really something that you want to go and talk to other people about, but God can send somebody to help you with that. God can send somebody to help you with that burden. Ask, ask for it. Ask for it. Say, God, I need somebody to help me. That's okay. That's good. That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to help each other, isn't it? Sometimes we, we feel, especially men, 
we feel like, you know, I'm going to man up and I'm going to deal with this. And I'm not asking anybody for help. I got this. The only problem is you don't. You don't got that. You need help. You need to ask God for help. And God will send somebody to help you. You know, our, our interactions with our Christian brothers and sisters, they should be directed and motivated by love. If we love one another, we're going to do whatever we can to help them. We won't do anything to harm them. We're going to be there for them. We're going to share whatever we have with them. You know, if I see somebody that needs something and I have it, and I can help them with it, that's love. I'm not doing that out of obligation. I'm not doing that because I have to. I'm doing it because I want to. And that motive is entirely different. It's an entirely different motive. We're not doing it out of obligation. We're doing it out of love. It's an entirely different thing. And uh, that freedom... That freedom that we have because of Christ is directed by love. Jesus said we'll know each other by the love that we have one for another. Uh, and I hope, I, hope that, I hope that we can get some perspective on that and let love lead the way. Love, love needs to lead. Love leads out. Knowledge follows. Everything else follows. But love leads. So I'm going to pray in a couple of minutes here. And um, I want to remind you that we do have some refreshments across the hall. So please stay and fellowship together. If you've never prayed, if you've never asked the Lord into your life, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. And um, understand that there's nothing that you have to do before you do that. Sometimes people say, oh, I'm such a sinner, God will never accept me. No, God will accept you. God will accept you if you ask Him, invite Him in, and then He'll make the changes. You don't have to clean up your life. You can't clean up your life. It takes God to do that. So let's pray. Lord God Almighty, Lord, I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe that He's our redemption. I believe that He gave His life so that we can have life, so that we can be free from our sin. We know, Lord, that we're a sinful people and we need a Savior. And so I give my heart and I give my life to You right now. Lord, I repent of my sinful ways. I commit myself to serving You. Lord, I ask You to come into my life and make necessary changes. Forgive me for all my sin, Lord, and fill me with your Holy Spirit. And let me know the joy of walking with you throughout the remainder of my journey on this earth. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. iTunes Store for the River Christian Fellowship. Or give us a call at 800-357-4226. There's also a video of today's teaching available on our website, theriverchristianfellowship.com, and then click the media button. And tune in next week for more from the River Christian Fellowship, live on CSN.